0: From lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com, this is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. I have another great show for you today, but first I'll cover just a few of the usual housekeeping items before I get started. Don't forget you can check out the show notes for Still Growing over at sixfootmama.com. That's my website, and it's the number six f t sixftmama.com, and you can find the Still Growing podcast in the top menu, and then just scroll down to episodes. Or head on over to iTunes and give me a review and get the show there. Or if you happen to be listening on Stitcher Radio, hit that little thumbs up button down in the corner. I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, so a little bit about what's happening around here as usual. My sun Kitchen Garden is doing fabulous. It's on the south patio deck. I'll have photos and a blog update on that later this week. And I'll also talk about how to keep your kitchen garden fresh and address things like bolting and how to keep going with your direct sowing. I planted a second kitchen garden on my front porch on the northwest side and this garden gets about 5 to 6 hours of morning sun and by getting that done this week it's going to really demonstrate to any doubters out there that there is still much that can be planted and harvested with a part shade location. I'll post those pictures and the story later this week. Finally, like you, our 4th of July plans are taking shape. This year, we're heading to a local restaurant on the lake for supper, coming home for a movie night featuring Independence Day, which was a request from the little boys, and then throwing on the glow lights uh, with the kids and heading out to catch the fireworks. Our front porch is decked out for the 4th, and this week I'm featuring a simple patriotic Newell post that you can make to add some structure and architecture to your garden. Garden, and that will be on my blog on sixfootmama.com just in time for the 4th of July. Now, for the focus of my show today, which is part two of my interview with Don Ingebretson the renegade gardener. For those of you who maybe missed last week's show featuring part one, I recently interviewed Don Ingebrigtsen, the renegade gardener, with my fellow master gardener and friend, Mary Lynn Kenknight. And we had so much fun chatting with Don and learning from his many years of gardening experience that we realized we had enough material for two shows so we split the show into two or split the interview into two pieces and in part one which aired last week in episode 503 we learned how Don came to be known as the renegade gardener. We also discovered his unique approach to gardening his tips and tricks for educating yourself in the field of gardening and his advice for new gardeners along with many many other fascinating facts. If you haven't had A chance to listen to it, you can go ahead and check that out as well. In today's show, we cover the back half of our interview, which is going to be part two, and it will provide even more great detail about Don's renegade perspective and experiences with gardening. It's a great listen, and I think it will really help shape your perspective on the life giving aspects of gardening, especially as we head into hot summer weather in our gardens, and also help combat garden fatigue if you've really been overdoing things this spring. So let's listen to this good advice and sound wisdom from none other than Don Ingebretzen, the Renegade gardener. Don, what is the most flawed idea that's currently being peddled by popular gardening culture?
1: Oh, well, beyond what we, again, what we've already discussed, just this whole, the dumbing down of American gardening, that gardening is easy and plants are foolproof and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, the most flawed ideal, I'm, I'm, you know, really, I mean, if you're, we can, we, we can keep it short because I think the most, well, I've mentioned it already, the most flawed ideal is that is that uh, you can have a low-maintenance landscape, mm-hmm. you know, or that, you know, I mean, I'll pick on concrete a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, concrete retaining wall block. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of concrete pavers, don't get me wrong, and I install concrete. I, I, I work primarily in, in natural stone, but times being what they are, I will, in fact, I'm we're installing a concrete patio probably starting next week, but I prefer stone. Um, and concrete is, is cheaper, but this, you know, I just see these ads for these monoliths, just these massive retaining wall patio, our great, you know, pizza oven, fire pit, just absolute garden room monstrosities, and the entire thing is made out of, out of concrete, and even, even though concrete's gotten a little better, they're, you know, they're starting to mix it with aggregates and they're creating, they're creating some semi-natural color blends, but um, you know, you do that in stone and it's, it's night and day different nat- natural stone. So I think the heavy reliance on plastic products, concrete retaining wall block, um, you know, um, just, just the, the whole, the whole, cheaper faux trend. I mean, I understand if people have a budget and they want to do a patio and they can't afford stone, stone's going to run, you know, 30, 40, 50% more than concrete. Uh, but, um, just the sort of ephemeral nature of some of these products, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something I think you learn and you learn to appreciate, or maybe not. Maybe you do a, concrete retaining wall block, you think it looks great, you know, just because I think it doesn't, doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right.
0: Yep. Despite all of the marketing geared toward making gardening seem simple, easy, maintenance-free, there seems to be a lot of anxiety when it comes to gardeners and gardening in general, doesn't there?
1: Beginners, yeah. Yep. And that's, and that's the fault, again, in the gardening industry, because when you say, oh, it's easy, here's the, here's the uh, common name. Don't, don't, don't learn uh, the Latin. That's old fashioned. I mean, there are even plant catalogs out out now that have stopped using the proper botanical Latin and just rely on common names. Uh, but so when you tell people, oh, these are guaranteed to grow, you know, guaranteed to grow or, or, um, you know, garden in a box where you just order up the the three, You know, it's a paint-by-number kit. The perennials show up, and it comes out with a little design plan, and it tells you exactly where to plan them. Well, you know, it's just, it's the same as a paint-by-number kit. I mean, you know, you can go out and buy the paint-by-number kit of the Rin Tin Tin Dog or, or the kittens with the ball of yarn, and you can sit and fill in all of the ones with blue and all of the twos with brown and all of the threes with red. And when you're done, you have a painting, but have you learned how to paint? You know, are you going to frame that and hang it on your wall? I mean, no, you're not developing any skill. So the, the whole dumbing down of it um, to try, you see, and what happened is they're trying to get people interested in gardening again. Oh, my goodness, people have stopped gardening. Uh, you know, gardening does skew older. I mean, uh, they're, what, they're, what they're not getting is, is the same influx of 20-year-old homeowners and 30-year-old homeowners in the gardening as they used to. And part of that's natural. I mean, part of that's just because there's 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 so many there's so much of an expansion of society and of things to do and and you know there's there's more options. But what the gardening industry decided to say was, oh, we're going to tell everybody that gardening's easy and that plants grow all by themselves and that you know that it's foolproof and da da da. So so they took that route instead of saying no. Here's what we need to do. We need to. We need to educate. We need to have classes at our nursery. We need to have much better informed salespeople. We need to, we need to do seminars. We need to, um, we need to educate, uh, uh, people about how to grow stuff and, and the great benefits of gardening and develop gardeners. Instead, they took the easy way out and, and I, I think they're continuing to burn off people, particularly younger people from, from gardening because they, uh, you know, they aren't even told. They aren't even asked. How's your soil for this plant? You yeah.
0: know. On that note, I'm curious what your thoughts are on social media sites like Pinterest, which, where it's very visual. Um, do you have any thoughts or insights into how social media is changing gardening?
1: I think it's helping. I mean, Pinterest and some of these things where you can shoot off pictures and and get gets followers or get a group that does it, and certainly Facebook. I mean, I use Facebook a lot for. My, uh, uh my uh, people can like me. They can go like Renegade Gardener on Facebook because I shoot out gardening tips and photos of the projects that we're working on in, in addition to my website. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think overall it's just good and it, and it, and it helps, um, because uh, it's just another way for people for exposure. Um, um, you know, people fall in love. With gardening, or they become interested in gardening primarily visually. It's visiting a friend's garden, or driving past a beautiful neighbor with a lovely garden, or seeing landscapes in in film, or or when they travel uh, around the country. So I, you know, it 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 is a visual seduction initially uh, in gardening. So and yeah, anything that because so many of the social medias are visual, I think they're I think they're going to help.
2: And when people see other people's yards and they want to start their own landscape project, what steps in the do it yourself landscaping project is most likely to be overlooked or underestimated?
1: Um, Visualizing the the landscape as a whole homeowners think too small. Uh, You want to start landscaping or putting up your yard. So you go out and you circle the mailbox, you know, with, with flowers. And now You've got a sunny spot on the fence over there, so you want to go stick some 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 landscape there. And, and then you cut a circle in your yard, and you fill it up with annuals. And then you go over to the front door, and you plant something. And then you buy a garden bench. You don't know where the garden bench is supposed to go, but you plunk it down here, and then you buy a bird bed. You do all the little things first. You think too small. You break up beginning gardeners and homeowners. I see it all the time. They break their, their properties, regardless of lot size. We could be talking about a small city lot. We could be talking about a, a one-acre or two-acre suburban lot. But they look too small, and they break it up into little individual areas, and a pocket garden here and a pocket garden there, and they circle the tree with with bricks and, and fill it with white rock, and they put flowers in. And they create all of these numerous disjointed little garden features, landscape attempts, all around their yard. And because they're doing them individually, one at a time, it, it never pulls together as a cohesive, unified whole. That's the number one design mistake that homeowners make. They think too small.
0: Okay, so tell them the solution. Coach them on how to think big. Well, it'd be
1: tough to do in uh, sh- this short amount of time, but you need to learn about concept lines. Concept lines are the lines that the eye sees and follows when it gazes at a landscape. Your house footprint is a concept line. Your street is a concept line. Your driveway is a concept line. Your sidewalk is a concept line. However, the most prominent concept line, the one that the eye sees first and most readily exists is the concept line created by the plants or if if there is lawn involved, it's the line created by the edging that separates the lawn area from the landscape area. And, you know, um, you really need to, you know, buy books, go online, um, learn the basic, at least spend Ten, fifteen, twenty 15, 20 hours. And my website has a ton of this stuff, but, but other good books and other good uh, websites uh, talk about visualizing the yard as a unified, the property as a unified whole uh, plant your trees first You buy the house. Uh, first thing you got to evaluate is your tree situation. Do you, do you not have enough? Do you not have enough trees? I mean, you might, get the trees in the ground first, um, you know, 15, 20 years later, you're going to be glad you did. Um, so just, just, you, you know, you do have to learn the basics of, of, of landscape design. And there are plenty of outlets out there, uh, but you know, in the nursery industry is horrified when, when, when someone points that out to people and yet they don't realize that, that someone who falls in love with fly fishing, I mean, they have to learn how to cast a fly rod. They have to learn how to do a, a a roll cast. They have to learn how to match the match the hatch. you know, you know, sewing, golf. You know, all it is is a learning curve. I don't know why we're supposed to protect people from the from the horrible truth that that there's quite a bit to learn here
0: before you're any before you're any good at at design. Those are great points, Don. And yet, when you think about gardening. You know, which has been a fairly straightforward endeavor through the ages. Why, why now has it just seemed like it's gotten so complicated for people to figure out? You know, some very basic gardening concepts.
1: I don't know that people make it complicated as much. Well, I mean, anything's complicated if you're not if you're not going to learn the basics. The basic uh, uh, tenets. Um, I mean, landscape design is complicated to people because it's complicated. I mean, landscape design isn't isn't easy. You can't just go out and buy a bunch of plants and plant them willy nilly and have a beautiful landscape. You have to learn about about contrasting foliage colors and and the you know you have to learn about form and foliage of plants and. And, uh, the, the, the the biggest thing for a landscape designer, the thing I'm so much better at now than when I started is I can see plants 15 years from now. I mean, when I plant a landscape, I'm planting it and the homeowner says, Oh, that's lovely. Well, that's lovely now, but I'm, I'm looking at it as it's going to be in 10 years. Uh, and that, that takes a bit of, that takes just a bit of experience and getting to know your plants and, and having plants in the ground that you see 10 years later
0: that's a great quote too being able to see plants 15 years from now
1: yeah you have to be able to see you have to be able to see the tree and the shrubs uh, as as they as they're they are going to mature I mean because you know another another big faux pas you just reminded me of it when I teach my classes homeowners are pretty good when it comes to height you know and when they're looking for a tree or they're looking they they're, they're trying to figure out a blooming shrub. They want to buy three of them or five of them to put them in front of a bay window, but they don't want something that's going to grow taller than four feet. They're always height oriented and they're pretty good at learning mature height. The question they forget to ask about plants is how wide is this thing going to grow? I would say more homeowners misplant or screw up their attempts because they don't plant with a thought towards mature height, particularly as it comes to evergreen trees, evergreen shrubs, uh, large shrubs. Uh, perennials you can screw up and you can always just dig them up and divide them and space them out wider. But when you're planting a, uh, you know, you're planting a spruce or you're planting a, a, a white pine or a red pine, uh, you know, I've seen homeowners plant a, a black hill spruce in a little spruce Patch of dirt that's the spruce is four feet from the fence, and it's and it's we got a fence on four feet on one side, and it's got uh, it's got three feet on to the driveway on the other side. Well, you know the black hill spruce is going to grow sixteen, eighteen feet wide.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: so, you know something's going to have to give eventually, and it's probably going to be the spruce. Yeah, you know there are other much more columnar evergreens that you could plant in a seven foot area that are going to go 25 30 feet tall and they'll only grow seven feet wide but you didn't think about width when you planted the the white pine in your front yard four feet from the road or the red pine or the or the uh you know the the you know whatever the the even even deciduous trees that get planted too close to stuff. you got to figure out how, what's this thing going to look like in five years? What's it going to look like in 10 years? How big is it going to be when it matures in 25, 30, 40 years?
0: And that's training that needs to start very young because I even know my kids are doing gardening projects in school. I work with kids all the time. We're always talking about how tall is this plant going to grow, but we really don't talk about how wide the plants get. Right.
1: Don't, don't focus in on width. And then you run into the further further confusion that the catalogs guess. I mean, I wrote a column recently about about shrub sizes in catalogs. Well, you know, it says the shrub will, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, copper tina nine bark or something. You know, maybe, you know, well, the famous one was darts gold. Darts gold nine bark uh, listed in all the catalogs is four to five feet tall, four to five feet wide. Well, you drop a darts gold nine-bart, uh, if it happens to be the right soil, maybe it just happens to be the absolute perfect pH, and it just loves it there, and it gets a lot of sun. I mean, I've seen them hit eight feet. Hmm. So the catalogs, and, and of course, the catalogs are written, and they don't change the heights necessarily by zone. So sometimes that helps us, because we'll have shrubs here that don't grow quite as gangly and as tall as they might out in. Zone seven, out in uh, Washington or Oregon, or you know British Columbia and Vancouver, and they actually look better. But there are other shrubs you happen to pop it in, and it you just happen to nail it in terms of the soil and the pH. And that you know people complain. They say I remember the Hakuro Nishiki willow, which was supposed to get, I think it said five feet tall when that first came in into our our realm here. Everyone was planting Hakuro Nishiki willows. Well, the things will grow twelve feet tall. Yeah, a willow. Yep. I mean, I, I, I coppiced. I have a client where I planted three of them, and I didn't know. I, I trusted the catalog, mm-hmm. and you know, ten years later, I'm out there with a chainsaw. I mean, this the the <laughs> base the base trunks on this willow were six inches in diameter, and I coppiced that thing to the ground. I mean, I took that thing all the way back down to the hardwood six inches above the ground, uh, one winter. And the next spring, of course, it just popped buds all out of there. And for the next five years they had a beautiful three foot and then four foot and then five foot beautiful Hakura Nishiki Willow. And eventually it's gonna hit ten feet. Yep. And you just coppice it again. You know? Uh so uh you know you're gonna learn you're gonna learn pruning. You're you're gonna want to learn pruning techniques. You're gonna You know, or at the very least, people write a check and have someone come over every five years who knows what he or she is doing, and and uh, and you know take take care of these plants. Unless you're living out in a rural area and you plant a bunch of natives and you let them rip, that's a good look too. I'm not saying it always has to be highfalutin, fancy fancy cultivars, but uh, you know, if you are if you want an attractive Showcase type landscape, um, you know stuff. Stuff. Stuff's gonna get ragged on you. It's gonna get winter kill. It's gonna get sunscald. It's gonna get disease. It's gonna have insects come in and wipe portions of it out. It's going to. Uh, it's going to require maintenance, and uh, that's that's a great secret that the nursery industry is 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 trying to hide. And that's you know again it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. That's where people go, oh gosh, this is this is tough stuff. Well, no, it isn't tough stuff if you'd started, if you'd planted it the first year and gotten to know the plant and and given it 15 minutes of your time
2: every year
0: since. Mm -hmm. I know you've got a passion for containers. And every time I go to a container class or even start talking to anybody about containers, I always hear about the thriller, filler, spiller rule because it's everywhere. I'm just wondering if there's anything more you can offer to how to make a great container than just thriller, filler, spiller.
1: Yeah, and I've heard it described as pillar, filler, spiller, pillar being the tall plant uh, in the middle, filler being the mid-sized plant that you plant around it, and then spillers are the trailers in a medium to large container that you plant right along the edge that then spill out over. And that's a beautiful recipe. I mean, some of the most beautiful containers you'll see professionally done are, are, are pillar filler, uh, spillers, is, is, the, is the way I've, I've heard it talked about. And I teach that uh, in, my, in my container gardening classes. But then I point out some subtle nuances. If it's a large container, and let's say it's in the corner of the patio, or it's placed such that you really only view it from one side. Uh, if it's a larger container, plant it like a gardening bed. The tall plant, the pillar at the back, and the fillers in front of it, and the spillers off the front. In other words, gradated it shorter to taller, as you would a garden bed. The pillar doesn't always have to go in the middle. The most important thing on container design, and and I, I uh, my class is taught just from the standpoint of my twenty-some year experience of doing. When I did my first containers, they were dreadful. They looked like everybody else's containers. Uh what was my problem? I thought that you, you know, what do you plant in containers? Flowers, 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 flowers. Every plant has to bloom. Then you start looking at really great containers and you realize that it's the same principle as in landscape design. Flower flower color and bloom color and flowers are a secondary concern. The principle of the container gardening is to have Drastic and artistic contrast in foliage. So, for I tell people, for every two flowers that you plant in a container, you know your your favorite annuals or whatever. For every two flowering plants, you plant one strong foliage plant, hmm. uh, and immediately your containers will jump up. Uh, several notches in artistic beauty. And flowers come and go. They fade. You fill up our containers with annuals, and then in July, we all know what they look like. Yes. Particularly last year. Um, Creating beautiful gardens, and this applies to perennial gardens, and it applies to planting shrubs, is place plants based on contrast in foliage color and plant form. Bloom and bloom color is a secondary concern and it takes a long time for people to learn that and understand it and appreciate it. But anytime you see a garden in a national gardening magazine or you go to the arboretum or you go to your, you know, ships, or wherever you go, some famous public garden or you tour the gardens of Europe or you, or you Google great gardens, Take a close look at what you're looking at, and you will see that it is the foliage contrast between the shrubs, the perennials, the trees, and the form, the rounded form, the spiky form, the blousy form, the spreading form. Those are the key elements that you need to contrast and play with. Bloom bloom color. You can have a bloom palette. That's fine. You want stuff that blooms in white and blue and pink and yellow. That's great. Uh, it's okay to have a bloom color palette, but bloom is... Bloom coordinating bloom color is a secondary concern in landscape design, and it's a secondary concern in container design. The other key principle I'll give you real quick on container design is the simplest trick in the book is once you start getting into midsize and, and larger containers, um, think about the the plant, what I call the plant visual weight, container visual weight ratio. Too often I'll see people they've got a three foot tall kind of a narrow tall container. A beautiful container, you know, glazed pottery or something. But it's rather tall. Maybe it's you know, two, even even taller, three feet tall. And they'll you know, it's in the shade so they'll plant it with impatience. Or they'll or it's in sun and they'll plant it with Johnny jump ups. So well they'll plant it with something that only grows a foot tall. So you look at it and the thing's all container and not enough plants. You wanna you wanna plant stuff in a container so that the plants create at least sixty percent of the of the visual weight. The container the container that you see should be secondary. And the easiest way to do that too is to just do it by height. If you have an eighteen inch tall container, plant something in it that's gonna hit thirty six inches or taller, and then your fillers and it's fillers, so you've got when you look at the total container arrangement, it's two thirds plant height, one third container height. Yeah. This you know, this is why when you're walking around a mall or you're at the airport or you're at a big office building, there's this giant four foot container, what has it got in it? It's got an eight foot tree in it. Yes. So you go two thirds plant height, one third container height, and all of a sudden your containers just start looking beautiful. Then start mixing in strong foliage. Don't rely so much on flowers. Yeah. You know, start using Start using, you know, strobilanthes and, of course, coleus. I mean, people get it with coleus. Why are you planting coleus for that dumb little blue stupid flower that comes mm-hmm. up midsummer that you should pinch off? No, you're growing it for the leaves.
0: Absolutely.
1: So when you go to the nursery, take your first spin through the nursery. Spend two-thirds of your budget on all of the lovely annuals and perennials. Don't forget to put perennials in there. Um mm-hmm. Spend two-thirds of your budget on your flowers and then go back and make a second pass and just spend a third of your budget on all the cool foliage
0: plants that you see. One of the prettiest containers I've seen this year is right outside of my kid's orthodontist office and they have this ginormous planter and one of the filler plants they're using is Boston Fern. And it just struck me as so unusual to see this Boston fern, which I always consider to be, a you know, kind of a solitary thing that I put in urns or mm-hmm. in my hanging pots. And so to see it in a container, I just fell in love with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and grasses. I mean, that was the great thing. 20 years ago, you, you know, I mean, 20 years ago, you went to a nursery. If you could go to some of the most popular nurseries in your area. You wouldn't see a single tall grass for sale. And you know you, what did you stick in the middle of your of your uh, fake uh, plastic terracotta container? You put that spike plant. Remember the
0: spike yes. plant, that
1: dumb little weedy green thing.
0: My mom did that, it all the time. Oh yeah,
1: and then you circle it with three red geraniums.
0: Oh gosh, you knew, and a little asparagus fern.
1: Yeah, and a little asparagus fern. Well, luckily <laughs> now we can grow we can grow tall, beautiful, blooming grasses. You can you know grow the annual hibiscus. You can goof around with. Other plants as your tall, taller main plants, if we're talking about about that, that uh, design formula, uh, you know, and all of a sudden containers started getting better. And then we started, we started, um, you know, adding more foliage to our containers. When you see a really knockout professional container and you're somewhere out, like you mentioned, or if you see us, if you're in a little city or somewhere where, or it's a coffee shop or someone and they've had professionals. Do their 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 containers for public display. Go in there and take dissect it. Take a look. You're going to see right away that there's about one strong foliage plant for every blooming plant, and uh, uh, it isn't just filled up with blooming annuals.
2: Well, Don, now that you're in the season of landscaping, and it's. I know from your website that you're about a month behind what, yeah. what does your typical day look like this year when you're out doing your landscaping?
1: Wet, cloudy, <sighs> cold. We got, we had a rainy today. In fact, we had absolute thunder shower. working on a really cool landscape terrace, stone wall job in St. Paul. And, and, uh, it wasn't supposed to rain today. It certainly, we weren't, we weren't, certainly weren't supposed to have six hours of thunderstorm. So I hadn't even tarped it. I had to get up this morning. It was pouring rain. I ran out there and had poly and tarped the whole thing just so that, uh, because we'd already killed the grass in the yard and I didn't want rivers to form and, and wipe the whole thing out. But, um, it's interesting. My, personally, my season this year is gangbusters. I mean, I don't, I don't know where these people were last year, but this year I, 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 i I'm, I mean, I'm eight weeks out right now. Um, we're getting just a ton of requests and it's just, it's just cyclical. And some of it's old clients who call you up out of the blue and they're ready for something else or they've sold their house and they're moving into a new house. So that kind of stuff happens. But, um, uh, uh, you know, right now the season is, uh, is finally going beautifully. But it's funny, I'm, I'm out, I still out do a little bit of maintenance. I got most of my maintenance done, but I'll, I'll still be in a, in a, here it is, June whatever it is, they're 13th. And, um, I'll be out in a, in a, uh, in a landscape that I've done. And, you know, the, the evergreens are just barely popping, you know? I mean, they should have popped on May 20th, mm-hmm. May 15th. Mm-hmm. So stuff stuff's slow, stuff's cold. Uh, the ground is, is still, I don't know what the tomatoes are going to be like this year. I mean, you know, typically, typically, uh, People plant tomatoes too early anyway across America, unless you're living the way down south, because tomatoes are a hot weather plant and they don't like to go in the ground until, until the ground's at least 58, even better at 60 degrees. So, yeah. so, I mean, our, our soil temperatures are up over that now, but, uh, yeah, stuff's cold, stuff's wet, stuff's being real slow. Um, you know, lilacs, uh, are, are blooming, of course, and, and, uh, precipia. Uh, came and the magnolias had a good bloom season, but um, uh and the crab apples, but crab apples weren't that great up here this year. I thought I thought that probably had something to do with that weird
2: cold start. Yeah. Yep, and things seem to bloom for a shorter amount of time this year as well. The yeah, crab
1: and they season. do that, yeah, and they and they and they do that when they have a cold when they have a cold spring. They just The sap isn't flowing, the sun isn't shining, the plants aren't, you know, everything's going to be fine. I mean, uh, you know what the old saying, every spring in Minnesota is unusual. Um, uh, Everything's going to be fine, but uh, it's going to be a short season uh, up here across the Midwest and actually across a lot of the country. We're not the only people that have had a long, cold winter and a a very sluggish uh, start to spring.
2: We may not get any tomatoes this year.
1: It'll be interesting. They don't like cold. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a hot season. That's a hot season crop: potatoes and peppers. They want it hot, and so, uh, we haven't had any heat yet.
2: So, for the landscapes that you're creating, is are there recurring themes that you have in your landscapes?
1: I try not to. No, no. I mean, you know, it is dictated. I mean, it's dictated by the by the client. I mean, I will typically submit a lot of plants and. Check them. Out. I just was sitting down with a client the other day who nixed a bunch of plants that I think are fabulous, and they're from Australia.
2: Hmm.
1: And uh, uh, you know, I have another client who I can't get an evergreen into her yard to save my soul, and she's <laughs> from the deep south. And she said, she said to me, she finally just beautiful southern action. She said to me finally, she said, you know, I'm I'm from the south. We, I don't, I don't, you know, I I know what you mean about because you know winter interest and this and that. But she said, you know, we just. I just don't, I don't have an appreciation for evergreens and I'd I'd rather have blooming, you know, blousy. She wants magnolias and she wants hydrangeas and she wants, she wants uh, stuff and that's, that's great. I mean, I I appreciate the input. She doesn't want evergreens. She says, I don't care what it looks like in the winter. I want it to be, I want it to be, uh, uh, I want it to look like the South in the summer. So there you have it.
2: If she's from the South, she's probably not going to go out in the winter anyway. No, probably not. Yeah.
0: How have your landscape designs evolved? Are there themes you found compelling earlier in your career that now no longer seem intriguing to you?
1: Well, again, when you break it down into themes, I guess I don't think in terms of themes. I mean, I take a look at it as just an opportunity to showcase the house. You know, to me, um, effective landscaping should nestle the house in nature. I mean, that's what I've always said. I want to, I want to. I want to make the house look attractive. You don't want to cover it up. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't, I guess I don't think in terms of themes when I, when I, when I landscape, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I think fits the landscape. And, you know, I, I, I love, I love, I love boulder outcroppings. There are, there are, if I'm, if I'm landscaping a house right in the city or, um, you know. South Minneapolis or uh, something in a very, very urban setting, uh, I'm not even going to suggest boulder outcroppings unless they want them. I mean, you know, what are those boulders doing there in that Mm -hmm. tiny little yard when there's no boulders within 18 blocks? You know, as as I've always said, you, you have to let the environment and the locale influence the design somewhat. You can't put a white picket fence around a stately brick mansion on you know, one of the wealthiest, largest uh, neighborhoods of of uh, of a city. Uh, but if you've got a beautiful old cottagey house out in the far suburbs or in a small town, you know the the, the picket fence looks great. Uh, the The beautiful brick mansion it needs a it needs a rod. It needs a black wrought iron fence with you know spikes on top of it. So you have to let the you have to let the neighborhood and the, and the proximity of the of the house to other landscapes influence your design
0: somewhat. Yeah. Aside from things you see firsthand in gardens, what are some of your favorite sources for new inspiration in the garden?
1: Oh, the internet's been pretty neat. I mean, I love to just sit down and just, just search weird stuff and search great gardens and search European gardens. And it makes it so easy now versus the old days of, of, uh, of books. Um, um, other gardeners, certainly, and other landscapers. But again, as I'd mentioned before, getting out and getting to the nursery, getting out early and, and touring, touring nurseries, particularly tree and shrub nurseries, and seeing the plants live and seeing what's new, um, uh, is, uh, is just essential to me.
0: What's currently inspiring you, Don? What are things that you're really excited about when you go to meet with some of your clients?
1: Ooh. Very good question. I think dwarf conifers. I just continue to grow my appreciation of of uh, just just how amazing some of them are. I was out in the landscape just last weekend that I did about ten years ago when I did a few dwarf conifers, um, and uh, uh, you know now they're ten years old. And this is a really good. I did the maintenance for about five years, and now they do it. She's a good gardener. The homeowner's a good gardener, and she takes care of stuff. And uh, uh, it's just so neat to see these plants. But I love the dwarf conifers because you can use them in a big landscape. You can use them in those small spaces and as focal points and kind of sculptures in a large landscape. And then, of course, they are dwarf conifers. You can use them in small yards. So they really go both. But I I, I think the world of dwarf conifers is is just continuing to expand. Uh, and uh, is is something that i I really have the most fun with nowadays. Um, you know I've been doing some been doing some bit of water gardens and of course those are always fine, but I don't think it's any more inspirational now than it used to be. um I think just keeping up with cool new perennials and and uh, 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 developing uh, uh, you know Better looks. I'm not a big giant perennial garden guy. I see perennials more as the throw pillows that you kind of scatter throughout the landscape. i that uh, unless the client wants it, I'm not big on okay, here's my masked perennial garden. Um, I like them more as the you know the colorful tie on a on a good
2: wool suit. You had mentioned before um, about giving the do-it-yourselfer ideas on how to make their yard more congruent not to make these small little tiny gardens throughout the whole yard what is the one tip that you would give to a gardener that wants to actually improve their design skills
1: a one tip um yeah that's hard because again even when i say see the whole picture they go well what do you mean i mean you know it 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 takes time um you know, I would say if you're if you're really interested in it, go, uh, you know, do 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 online research or, or do a community ed class or check out even the even a lot of the good, um, uh, certainly in the Twin Cities, uh, uh, Minnesota State Horticultural Society, etc. Look for landscape design classes. I mean, seriously, it. it that and and go out and get get good books. You want to go to the library or the bookstore and find a book that is just filled with landscapes. And there are many of them out there. And chapter by chapter, and they have different shaped yards and different and uh, and and study them. I mean, you know, I can't say well just learn how to design. That isn't a tip, um, but take the time to learn to learn some basic landscape design. And it's all available in books and online, certainly.
2: What kind of tips would you be able to give me without seeing my garden? How can I set my garden apart from others, from others' gardens?
1: Place your plants based on contrast and foliage. Get out there and, and green is one of two dozen colors that are available in shrubs, trees and perennials when you look at their leaves that that's it that's that's the secret to plant placement place your plants based on contrast in foliage and plant form bloom color
0: is a secondary concern don how is gardening life giving to you
1: oh it's just you know it's great exercise it's i don't you know I i don't i don't relate it too much i mean i i I was going to say, I don't, I don't really have too much in spiritual terms, but it's certainly, I, I know that it, that it is, I mean, it does uplift my soul. I, I, I think real, I think true gardeners, people who kind of discover that their calling or their main passion is gardening uh, are just so impressed by the growth, by the, by the will to grow and sometimes the will to survive and, and the nurturing aspect. I've often contended that the reason that, that some men Women outnumber men when it comes to gardening, but I think women are, well, I don't think they are, by nature, uh, more nurturers. I mean, men, we do not give birth. We do not nurse. But um, growing something, even if it's tomatoes, even if all you you know, because men, men typically are stronger vegetable growers than women. But I think the same thing there. It's an ability for us to nurture. It's an ability for us to help something along and to watch something develop um, uh, that, uh,
0: you know, I think, I think fulfills a need. I get the impression that you spend a lot of your time with your clients or educating groups of people about gardening. How do you stay connected with your own garden? How do you make sure that you're in your own garden?
1: <laughs> I don't. I, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's tough. That's why one of the reasons that I... I actually kind of downsized I mean I'm at a point right now where you know it's it's the old the cobblers children have no shoes
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, um, no i'm uh, I'm waiting i'm I'm hopefully getting out of I'm I'm planning a move um, out to uh, the pacific Northwest uh maybe within a year and then uh, when things slow down a little bit and I don't have to work so hard I could then I could then retire and uh, and create my final garden. That's kind of what I'm looking for, forward to right now. But uh, uh, no, once I mean the worst thing you can do if you're a passionate gardener is start a landscaping company because uh, you have no time to garden.
0: Well, and it's a tough profession just from the physical labor part of it. Yeah. Well, I hire I hire good young strong
1: backs, but. Uh, oh yeah, I'm out there every day, but that's, that, that's the beauty of it. It's fresh air. It's exercise. I'm in incredible shape. I'm in good health because I go out and, uh, you know, I actually do, you know, basically I, I, I'm a, I, I I'm the one who points and gives instructions. But when it comes time to, to slam the plants into the ground, you know, I'm digging holes with the rest of them. Yeah. Teaching kids, teaching young people how to plant and, and how to prepare a plant for, for interment and uh, how to mulch properly, and how to how to fertilize, et cetera, and how to prune. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's a great. I mean, I get paid to go out and and uh, and garden for other
0: people, so it's uh, it's not a bad life. I love asking other gardeners what their favorite garden tools are. So, in other words, when you think of the things that you like to bring to work with you in your garden bag, or or in your own garden, in your backyard, what are some of your favorite tools that you like to use?
1: Bobcat. Sooner or later, you got to go out and buy a Bobcat. <laughs> uh, buy a big pickup. Don't screw around with those little mid-sized or mini pickup. If you're going to garden, eventually you need to get a big old F-150 or a full-size pickup. Um, I, uh, you know, just, just having... Uh, uh, I don't know. Good loppers. Get a good expensive, buy expense, buy good gardening tools. Have a, have a good quality bypass pruner. Have a good long handled lopper. Uh, the Ginzu knife is the greatest gardening tool ever invented. That it, It's now the quick cut, but you see them at the state fair and at the home and garden show. It's that heavily serrated knife it used to be called the Ginzu and it slices bread and it slices the tomato and everything. Greatest gardening tool ever made. Uh, cutting edging, dividing perennials. Uh, we, I have about six of them in my toolboxes. So I'm always grabbing my serrated, uh, bread knife, uh, which has never cut a slice of bread in its life. It, all it does <laughs> is help, all it does is help me in the garden. It's, it's for whack, for sawing down your grasses, uh, in the spring for dividing perennials. It's the greatest gardening tool ever made.
0: That's great. Do you have any other, uh, tips? Like, do you wear garden gloves? Do you believe in, uh, any type of uh particular product that you just absolutely can't be without when you're in your yard
1: gloves are for when you have a tool in your hand when you're shoveling when you're raking when you're pruning you wear gloves any other time the gloves immediately come off anytime i'm planting i'm 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 doing stuff i just the gloves just 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 get in the way uh Uh, uh, for me, of course, I do a lot of stone work, so I'm operating stone saws and, and, uh, sophisticated stone grinders and stuff. And there is, you know, gloves and safety glasses and dust masks and, you know, all of that stuff. But, um, uh, my gloves, my gloves are constantly being taken off when I, when I garden because they, they, they just get in the way.
2: Since you don't have time to spend in your garden at all, is there, when you do finally find time, is there a favorite spot that you find yourself going to in your garden?
1: Oh, it's just my bench. I mean, I mean, you know, again, it just comes with good design. People will buy a bench, and then sometimes when I'm speaking to a group, I'll say, how many of you have a garden bench? And a lot of them will raise their hand. I'll say, how many of you sit on it at least every two to three days? And, you know, a quarter of the people will raise their hand. But, yeah, just sitting in the bench. Opening my mail, talking on the phone, maybe sitting at my laptop. Um, that's that's my that's my spot.
2: Yep, I have a garden swing. That's the spot that I continue to go to time and time again. Do you have a favorite flower or a favorite plant? A oh,
1: favorite I get shrub? asked that all the time, and I always I always beg off. It. It's it's impossible to to limit it to one perennial, one shrub, one tree. I would say among perennials. Um, you know, I have to have iris. I mean, iris to me is the perfect perennial. It's got the, it's got that amazing sword foliage. It's got one of the most beautiful flowers you can ever see. I know they're a little short. I, I know they don't bloom for very long, but, you know, a well-maintained iris and the variegated irises. I uh, you can't design a, an attractive perennial garden without iris. I love the new sedums. I love the new cherry truffle and uh, xenon, the dark and and uh, burgundy and almost brownish black uh, sedums are among are among my favorites and and heuchera. I mean that would probably round out my absolute favorite perennials um, I loved when it comes to shrubs I mean my favorites are, are certainly going to be the nine barks. Uh just for that fabulous foliage cover, the, the white gelias. Um I, I use a lot in in my designs Um uh, even simple old dumb stuff, the dwarf bush honeysuckle, which is such a terrific plant for massings. And then, um, when it comes into the, uh, into the, into the uh, the, the tree world, um, the red buds, the, the birch maples, or rather the uh, river, yeah, the river clump maples, um, or, uh, excuse me, the river clump birches is what I'm trying to say, um. And dwarf conifers. I mean, the, the, the small spreading conifers and, the, and the, the pines, and the incredible, just artistic uh, spruce that are available now uh, are just continuing to, to, to astonish me with uh, with uh, their use their usefulness.
2: Are there any plants that remind you of your childhood? Uh, chrysanthemums. Yeah.
1: Yeah, dad's mums. I still always have to have some mums around uh, just because they're just so fabulous in the fall. You know, in the fall, people ignore the fall. you got to have Boltonia. you got to have Chrysanthemum. you got to have Soledego. There's so many fabulous, and the, you know, and a lot of the sedums, too, will carry you in the fall. Uh, you know, Chrysanthemums, you've got to have stuff blooming in fall.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, we just need to also help the birds and the uh, the butterflies and the bees that are left in the fall too that don't have uh, the plants that are necessary to survive Mm -hmm. yeah if you Mm -hmm. could grow any single plant that would come from anywhere in the world what would you choose?
1: Japanese maple
2: yeah that makes sense
1: I have the typical zone 7 NB for the zone (laughs) 7 Japanese maples that's why I'm moving to the Pacific Northwest
0: and they'll have a wonderful growing season there. Oh, yeah. That is going to be a beautiful garden. Don, do you feel that you've successfully shaken some of the perceived rigid rules around gardening during your career?
1: I I think I have, just due to the success of the website. I mean, I get emails from people all across the country and all across the world, really. And, um, you know, I was one of the early people uh, – uh, railing against, uh, the overuse of lawn. And I, I don't know whether I'm certain that my lone voice didn't have anything to do with it, but there were an awful lot of us who joined in and said, you know, we really have to reevaluate this, this, in, this in, intense use of lawn. And now, lo and behold, you know, nowadays, even if people s- still have large lawns, at least they've heard that there are alternatives to large lawns. So, Everyone starts out and you grow annuals and you grow perennials and you love perennials and I love perennials, but you gotta move on to shrubs and trees and shrubs. The secret to landscape design is, is, is knowing and placing small trees and shrubs. And, uh, uh, once you get that part figured out and once you start realizing your options there. So I've always been just, I've just been screaming at people, shrubs, 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 shrubs. And I've had people come back to me and say, yeah, you know, I, I didn't know what you were talking about. But now I understand it.
0: Who was your mentor with regard to trees and shrubs?
1: Oh, that's a good question. My father certainly, because my father, he knew all. He knew his trees. He knew his trees. He could be driving anywhere. He would know every tree, every conifer, every deciduous tree. I'm going to stick with my father. He always grew beautiful shrubs in our yards, and uh, uh, always, and he grew fruiting shrubs, and uh, uh he, he, he he probably would, would be number
0: one. And that's true for so many gardeners that they learn to love gardening working beside one of their parents in the garden. You know, I've got four kids and I love having them in the garden with me. What's the most valuable thing that I could teach my own kids about gardening? Do
1: you grow vegetables with them?
0: I do. And we also grow herbs and aromatics and, of course, perennials. And uh, then when we're in the vegetable garden or the kitchen garden together, we're harvesting together. So I try to show them the full um, cycle of growth with the plants that, you know, from seed to harvest and what that looks like and even extending that into the kitchen when we cook together. Yeah,
1: that's the best way. That's the best way with kids. Um, I think the most valuable thing you, you could teach them is that they're alive. These plants are alive. You know, no, they're not human, and they're not the dog, and they don't move a lot, and they don't talk to us, they don't make any sounds. But just understand that it's a it's a it's a live thing, and uh, guess what? It's going to grow just like you are. It's going to get bigger, and it has a life, and it serves a purpose, and. And of course, the great thing about vegetable gardening is to have kids plant something and grow it, and then, and then, uh, and then eventually eat it. Yeah. So that they they understand that their food came
0: from the ground. That's great advice, Don. Thank you. Top of my head. Top of your head. <laughs> well, you have been a font of wisdom for us today.
1: Oh, I've enjoyed it, and thank you too. You had such wonderful questions.
0: Well, you're welcome. It was a pleasure putting it together for you. I knew that this was going to be a special show for us. So I just want to thank you again for being with me today. And, of course, our listeners can always find you at Mm www.renegadegardener.com. And do you have any special upcoming events? I know this is your busy time.
1: Yeah, and I just came off of a very busy winter and fall, uh, uh, winter and spring. Speaking schedule and in the summer i book nothing uh i'll be speaking again i know at a lot of local garden clubs i haven't got my calendar in front of me uh uh this fall people can always uh check my website i put my i put my uh, speaking calendar up there by about midsummer okay. um this winter i'm booked uh I'm going to be, well, I'll be locally, I'll be at the St. Paul Home and Vallejo show again in February, but I'm booked at, at home and garden shows and flower shows in, uh, oh, in Michigan and in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to be going to, um, I'm going to be going, I'm going to be speaking out in Seattle. I'm going to be just trying to think what I've got. I'm going to be out in the Virginia Beach, Hampton, Virginia area, uh, uh, in February. I will be, uh, I will be around the country and people around about certainly by fall on my uh on my website renegadegardener.com I i pop up my uh my 2014 speaking calendar and at that point it'll have a lot of my Minnesota and the local local garden club and you know spring fling stuff uh for 2014.
0: Don, let me know when you post your speaking schedule and we'll put a link to it on this episode.
1: Oh, super. You know, it's always fun to check out my website. They can like me on Facebook and uh, I'll send out uh, gardening tips and photos of the current jobs that we're doing. I usually include some notes just to kind of give some ideas to what what we had in mind or captions to the pictures. And, uh, yeah, support your local nurseries and... uh, and uh, this will be a weird season, but, uh, you know, uh, no spring in Minnesota is unusual, and uh, uh, I think uh, I think people are, are gonna wind up having, a, having a, a, a pretty good year if it ever stops raining.
0: Sometimes it all catches up in a hurry, doesn't it?
1: I think so, who knows? We might It might turn out to be a gorgeous, gorgeous uh, 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 growing season, and I bet you we're going to have good fall color around the country. So that's all in the plus.
0: Yep, it is. Well, I want to thank you again for being on the show today, as well as Mary Lynn for being a great co-host. Thanks for coming out. My pleasure.
1: Yeah, and thanks, Mary Lynn. It was great talking with you folks.
2: Well, you are a genius. It was was wonderful. <laughs>
1: I'm a good talker. I talk a (laughs) good You're
0: you're a fabulous storyteller. Uh, Excellent plansman. Well I'll have all the information mentioned on this podcast today at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six F T M A M A dot com. And you can find this episode in the top menu under the Still Growing Podcast. By the way, I'll put Don's contact information there as well as a link to his website, renegadegardener.com and there will be a lot of fun things to reference in the show notes for this episode. Of course, you can find me at facebook.com backslash still growing with 6 foot Mama, and I'll talk to you all next week. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a sixfootmama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Episodes and production notes can be found at sixfootmama.com in the top menu under Still Growing Podcast. Of course, you can always find me at sixfootmama.com or on facebookcom backslash Still Growing with Sixfoot You can also email me directly at jennifer at sixfootmama.com. Feel free to send in your questions for the Master Gardener Roundtable which airs every other month on Still Growing. Your question will be answered either via email or during the podcast. Once again, Still Growing is an hour-long weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Well, Sonny had a very long day in the garden today, and he found a chipmunk that he just had to get, and he was chasing this thing all around the garden. And tonight, when I was working on editing the show, he was sleeping in the studio, of course, and I'm sure he was dreaming about chasing this chipmunk. But here's what he sounded like in his sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, funny, did you catch the chipmunk?